Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Winter's coming, and with it, huge questions for Portland's already struggling food and bar scene. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Michael Russell, the Oregonian's restaurant reporter and critic, talks about the state of the industry right now. We talked about the big names and brands like Pock Pock and Beast that have closed their doors for good, why businesses are nervous about the long, wet winter to come, why some new businesses are opening, and a few other reasons for optimism. Yes, optimism. Here's our conversation. Michael Russell, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Michael, way back in the uh, early March, on March 18th, on this show, just after Governor Kate Brown ordered the closure of restaurants and bars, you said this. The fear among the restaurant community, which I think is completely, absolutely justified, is that a lot of these places, neighborhood restaurants that we've come to love, and maybe even well-known, famous restaurants that you would think would be doing well might never reopen. But today, listening to that clip, Michael, it's pretty clear that those worst fears have come to pass for so many restaurants around Portland. Remind us, what restaurants have we lost here recently that are not going to reopen? Right. So to speak to just totals really quickly, um, there's a couple of lists of restaurant closures. I do one. Um, Eater has one. And they are, I think, a little more up to date to, than me, and they they have somewhere over a hundred restaurants closed, which I've heard the number thrown out there that's a, that's about over ten percent of Portland restaurants. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent clear on all that data yet, and I'm actually hoping uh, soon to actually get more data from Yelp, which um, mm. has actually is uh, you know tracks all that stuff through their it's user generated. Uh, people will alert them that a restaurant is closed. Um, and, and that might not sound like much, but I think part of the problem is is we don't always hear about every every restaurant closure. So you know, we're sometimes we're only hearing about the the big prominent places that you know get written about a lot and that put out statements or you know post something to their social media. Mm-hmm. So the true number could be higher than that already. And the sort of outside figure that um, the restaurant industry uh, has promoted is a potential for as much as 85% of restaurants closing. And frankly, even when we had that conversation and I said that the fears were justified, I think if you told me then that 85% of restaurants were going to close, I would have thought that was, you know, sky is falling type of talk. But uh, 
I mean, now, I mean, if we say uh, uh, on the outside, maybe a quarter of Portland restaurants have closed already. I mean, that, that figure may be a little bit high, but somewhere between 50 and 25% of Portland restaurants have already closed. We're heading into the winter now. Uh, that number actually seems possible. Oh, and I didn't answer your question at all. So, I mean, some of the bigger ones that have closed, uh, I think of places like Pock Pock, which uh, was probably the best known uh Portland restaurant outside of Portland, mostly because uh, uh, the chef Andy Ricker took his Thai street food restaurant from Division Street and opened a place in New York City, opened a place in LA. He had a wing place in uh, Las Vegas. And by the time uh, COVID rolled around, I think he was operating, I want to say, six, seven individual restaurant concepts at six locations um, because the Pock Pock in Northwest had a, uh, uh, like a charcoal grill Thai mm. restaurant uh, upstairs. So that whole, uh, uh, you know, p- restaurant group is now gone. And Andy Ricker moved to Thailand a couple of months ago. Uh, and I don't think we're expecting him to be moving back to Portland anytime soon. Um Pock Pock might be the biggest name. We've also seen places like Beast, Toro Bravo. Um, we saw a major downscaling from Blue Star Donuts, which is another place that had expanded down to Los Angeles. Um, right. And uh, I could keep rattling names off, but there's probably been, you know, from my list of the 40 best restaurants in Portland, we've probably lost, uh, I want to say six or seven um, so far. And okay. Holdfast Dining, Imperial, which was Vitali Paley's place downtown, Aviary, which was a finer dining place on Alberta. Uh, those are some of the bigger names. So, Michael, who's still standing and what is setting these restaurants apart right now? Well, that's a great question. Obviously, uh, takeout places that already were doing good with takeout are still doing fairly well. Um, you know, pizzerias are doing great. Mm. Uh, some I've seen some restaurants shifting to, uh, hey, we're just going to do ramen for the winter. Um, you know, that's something that a restaurant called uh, Bar King uh, recently rolled out. Longbun, which is um, this great. Uh, tasting menu Thai restaurant that uh, can't really operate because of how small it is. They are doing to-go noodles, and and this is yeah. this was one of the top restaurants in Portland. Um, yeah, a place that people would come from out of town back when when people did that, right? And yeah, re- a place reservations, a place where you'd have to book reservations. Exactly right, exactly right. Um, so we're seeing some of that happening. We're seeing places kind of embrace comfort food and takeout. I've seen a lot of places turning themselves into fish and chip restaurants. Uh, a, a cocktail bar called Scotch Lodge is now a, a chip shop, a fish and mm. chip shop. If you want to look back at like the the best known restaurants of the 2000s, uh, uh, which is kind of when Portland made its, uh, put its stamp on America, you know, like, hey, we're not just some backwater here. We're, we're a top restaurant city in our own regard. I would in my head, I would have put Beast, Toro Bravo, Pock Pock, and Le Pigeon as the top four uh, restaurants from that time. And 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 Beast uh, came out of this ripe restaurant group that that operated several restaurants, and um, uh, several of those chefs have won James Beard awards. And those right. those are some of the first restaurants people come to when they visit Portland. At this point, three of those restaurants are now closed. Three of those four. Um, Le Pigeon is the only one that's still operating, and they're running at a much more limited capacity, um, you know, with social distancing in place, you have to have tables six feet apart and that's a very small restaurant. So I, I'm not quite sure how many people they're getting in there, but I think it might be 
something like 12 people per turn, something like that. Um, okay. And this is, you know, the, the fine restaurant down on, uh, on, uh, Burnside street on um, East Burnside. Yeah. And they're making a go of it next door at Canard too, which was our restaurant of the year two years ago. You had a big piece a, a week or two ago at this point now, by the time folks are listening to this, um, we talked about winter just briefly earlier, that winter is coming and that's a huge concern. Um, can you talk about why? Yeah, I, I got into a lot of different strands with that story. Um, it is a sub- subscriber exclusive, so um, you should subscribe and, and check that story out. But, um, you know, the city of Portland, along with cities all around the country and all across Oregon, tried to do their best to make it easy for restaurants to expand outdoors. And obviously, this is something you've reported on as well um, with your beat. But, the you know, essentially, they said, look, if there's a parking lot next door to your restaurant or uh, parking spots out front or even a street that's not really being used very much – you can, you know, annex that area, put out tables and chairs and start serving out there. And, you know, the Portland Bureau of Transportation, you know, was doing their best to kind of roll that out. I think they said something like more than 700 restaurants or businesses uh, had enrolled in that. Uh, I noticed the or the OLCC, the Liquor Control Board, made it incredibly easy to do that. Like you just said, okay, I want to serve booze out here mm-hmm. and they said you've been approved it was an automatic approval um that they then later you know checked retroactively so so you know city bureaucracies are trying to make it easy we're trying to make it easy for businesses to do that during the summer and a lot of them took advantage of it but now with winter coming it's just very you know it's just i don't i, I can't imagine that portlanders are going to want to sit outside in you know potentially with rain coming down from whatever, you know, canopy is overhead. Uh, And all these restaurants are trying to build out more, you know, firm structures with, you know, wind barricades and gas heaters. But then you start getting into the worry, like, wait, isn't this just like dining indoors? Um, Exactly. And no, Portlanders do not want to dine indoors. There's been a couple of surveys that just say, you know, I think something like 14% of Portlanders are comfortable doing that right now. So we're very cautious. We, We read a lot of news here in Portland, as you guys know, and like, we're aware that this is a virus that travels, you know, uh, in the air. It can travel in through the air and, you know, air conditioning systems can recycle it. So we have restaurants that are inst- installing these like um, special HVAC units that, uh, you know, use ionizing technology to, mm. to kill the virus. And, you know, I just don't know how, how comfortable are Portlanders going to be with all of this? Uh, I don't know, but I know that you're just going to, we're just kind of losing outdoor dining. And I don't think Portlanders are ready to come back in, especially with case counts going through the roof right now. So uh, that's a, that's one big issue. There's, and then the other element of that story is the downtown uh, is in even more dire straits. And, and we can talk about that too, if you like. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a combination of factors downtown, right? There's not people working downtown, and then the um, the demonstrations, are those also uh, playing playing a role? Yeah, I mean, I talked to a lot of downtown business owners for that story, and, you know, let's we have to be honest. The fact that all those office buildings downtown are just completely empty right now, that is the biggest problem for them. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have people popping out for – a a, a lunch ever you don't have people stopping for happy hour with their friends at at five o'clock you know all that business is just done and then you have hotel occupancy i've seen different figures but you know maybe down 80 percent 
so you don't have any uh, of you know the people traveling here for work or pleasure who would normally be filling some of these downtown restaurants. So that that those are huge, 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 huge factors. And the restaurants that are actually in hotels are struggling maybe more than anybody. I think that the reputational hit to Portland uh, that people have talked about from the protests, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I rode around on my bike for that story, just kind of like, uh, you know, checking out various neighborhoods and it, you know, depending on how you break down downtown, it felt like the Pearl was operating kind of similarly to the rest of the uh, city, certainly Northwest Portland. Some of those restaurants are doing, you know, as well as can be expected closer to the justice center, you you know, you see more boarded up businesses because that's where there was this sustained nightly uh, protest movement where there were occasionally windows being smashed and things Mm -hmm. like that. But even down there, there's a Vietnamese restaurant called Luke Lock, which has built out this really impressive, um, patio that extends out into i believe second avenue and everything's all the ordering is done online from your phone while you're sitting there and so i mean not it's not i i wouldn't and that's right by the justice center so i wouldn't say that um i feel like the protest might be like fourth on a list of issues that go from no people in office buildings uh uh and then no hotel visitors and then um, you know, the one thing the business people downtown talked to me a lot about was the expansion of the sort of tent cities downtown and mm-hmm. dealing with customers kind of trying to eat outside in these limited parking spot spaces and interacting with people potentially um, with mental illness who might be having, you know, uh, uh, issues of their own. And, you know, those are the things that they're they're worried about downtown. So it's, it, it's a one, two, three, four, maybe even five, six different factors that, yeah, it's it's pretty bleak. And we're seeing a lot of downtown restaurants close for good. Oh, that's a helpful hierarchy of uh, woes, I guess, <laughs> in terms yeah. of putting it in perspective. Let's talk about workers a little bit. What are you hearing from people in the industry, um, you know, bartenders or people who, um, you know, are servers, but have been out of work since what, forever? I don't know, since March in some cases, like, Obviously, you can't speak for the whole industry, but can you kind of outline what you've heard from some of those folks who aren't, you know, owning and running the restaurants, but are so critical to making them happen? Yeah, right. And this is this is a huge portion of our our labor. Uh, you know, it might be ten percent of Oregon's uh, total people employed people uh, is in the service industry and hospitality sector. So we're talking about just a giant swath of. Oregon, who who works in restaurants and bars. And what I'm hearing is, you know, it kind of differs on who you are. Some people were able to get on unemployment pretty quickly. And, you know, in the early days when uh, the federal government was attaching a $600 bonus to your unemployment checks, you know, things were not, you know, even if you were a very successful server who uh, was making a lot in tips, you were still doing pretty well. And, um, you know, that ended in the end of July. Uh, and you did see a lot of restaurants making the effort to reopen at that point and bringing employees back. And, you know, I think there's a real movement afoot um, among workers to try to improve conditions in restaurants and have a little more power over the decision-making process uh, at what restaurants remain. And uh, you, I am hearing things about, you know, 
that hey, like we're 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 sticking to takeout at this restaurant, uh, uh, but but you know we're going to need our workers to have unanimous uh, agreement that we should reopen. And those are the kinds of things I think. Like in the early days of the pandemic, I think a lot of restaurant owners were really trying to force reopening uh, on workers in, in a way that maybe they weren't comfortable with. So we've seen a, a lot of kind of shifts in the industry now where uh, workers are trying to have more of a say. And you do see like any new restaurant opening in particular uh, is is putting out a lot of, uh, uh, you know, signs, hey, we're going to be more worker friendly here. I mean, uh, we'll see how that plays out long term. Um but yeah, it's an interesting time, and and perhaps there'll be some labor movements that come out of that, and more unionizing in the way we've seen, uh, whether it's fast food at Burgerville or even smaller restaurants like uh, Scotty's Pizza on Division, which has its own small union. Excuse me. Yeah, it'll be fascinating, um, I guess, to see how this all uh, plays out um, if we get on the other side. Uh, let's take a quick break and come back and talk more with Michael Russell. Michael, is any restaurant with a dining room not facing an existential threat? I think the places that are doing okay, relatively speaking, I think they all fall into the same category, which is that they either own their own building or they have extremely generous landlords. And to just point to two uh, examples of that. I had a long conversation uh, in sp- the spring uh, with the owner of Justa Pasta, and that's a uh, uh, you know relatively inexpensive uh, pasta restaurant in Northwest mm. that's been around for 20 years or so. They own their own building, and they were just calling to say, hey, you know, it's not all bad out here. Um, you know, there's a lot of gloom and doom, but here's what we're doing. You know, we've been, our sales are up, our our customer base is doing a great job of coming by for takeout, um, and on and on and on. The other place I'd point to is Higgins, which I've written about a few times because they pivoted to running a food cart during the summer. And they their landlord happens to be the Oregon Historical Society. So mm-hmm. Higgins, which is this sort of pioneering farm-to-table restaurant that opened 26 years ago downtown, one of Portland's signature restaurants, uh, they sit right next to the Oregon Historical Society. And they when they went to the uh, OHS early on, they said, look, we want you to be here at the end of the pandemic. So what what can we do to help you? And, you know, some of those things, I haven't gotten into every, all the financial details with them, but, you know, uh, rent relief was one. And then allowing Higgins to use the Oregon Historical Society's plaza to, to put a food cart down and put tables out. So, I mean, if you're in one of those two uh, categories, if you, if you own your own building or if you have a generous landlord, that's, that's the place where you're, you, you might have a shot at riding out this winter. Uh, for places that are, you know, struggling to even contact someone with a, a landlord who might be on the East Coast, like a corporate landlord. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. I've heard, talked to a lot of small business owners who are, uh, you know, just not, uh, uh, haven't really had any rent relief at all for months. Um, and maybe they did get access to the uh, PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Program loans, uh, which dried up, you know, they stopped giving them out in August. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, that might have just gotten you through a month or two of rent. And even in the case uh, where it got you through the month or two of rent, there are stipulations on that uh, that loan that if you use more than 25% on 
anything but paying your employees to come back to work, uh, then you you don't. It's not. It's no longer a grant. You actually have to pay it back. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's pretty tough out there. So anyway, when I wrote that story, it was <laughs> the impetus for writing that story last week was just basically, you know, all the all, all the people saying, "Wow, we're going to lose X percent of our restaurants," and I heard seventy percent, eighty five percent. At first, I definitely thought that was unlikely, but uh, you know, with the weather taking a turn, I, I think it, it's hard to be too pessimistic right now. Despite that, we've continued to see announcements, um, some that you've written about, about new restaurants opening in town or new new um, establishments of, you know, whether it's a, a drink spot or whatever. Um, what's going on here with, with that phenomenon? Right. Well, we have a lot of empty spaces now. I mean, like I said at the beginning, we have at least over 100 rest- empty restaurant spaces that are just sitting there. And, you know, in the case of... Uh, Tasty and Alder, which was Toro Bravo's sister restaurant downtown, an incredibly successful restaurant uh, that catered largely to tourists um, who aren't here anymore. Right. Uh, when that uh, restaurant became available, um, the uh, landlord, uh, who's Greg Goodman, who um, uh, you know as a developer, yeah, parking, also lot parking lot giant, downtown. yeah, yeah, exactly. He kind of, I think I haven't talked to him recently, but I think he must keep pretty close tabs on the restaurant scene because he reached out to a couple of prominent Portland chefs, ended up uh, talking to uh, Peter Cho and Sun Young Park from Han Oak. Mm. And uh, they told me that it was basically a deal too good to pass up. They had been planning to open uh, the Han Oak, uh, the, the, the duo behind Han Oak had been planning to open this like. A dumpling spot next door to Han Oak, which they're not doing anymore. And instead, they're going to go downtown and open like a takeout friendly market in the Tasty and Alder space. And the deal is that their rent is going to be a portion of their sales. So, and it's a pretty low number. Um, so they, you know, they can kind of get by over the next six months. Even if nobody comes by the restaurant, they'll probably be able to make it through. Um, and Greg Goodman did other. Uh, things for them. I believe he bought the kitchen equipment mm. and is allowing them to use it. Um, so, but, you know, yeah. that's not, that might not be replicable on a larger scale when you're talking one of the best known chefs in town and one of the biggest uh, and most influential landlords, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's a really good point because we wonder our landlords, you know, how many landlords are going to be willing to take on risk right now? Well, the if you have an empty space that needs a tenant, yeah. you may be willing to take on a certain amount of risk, but, you know, the smart ones are going to be calling the top 30 best-known chefs in town first. But maybe another fear people have is that chains will come in and start gobbling up some of the best uh, real estate in town because they have the numbers to back up, hey, we're going to do X amount of sales, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. I mean – one thing that's kind of heartening is we are seeing a fair amount of uh, BIPOC-owned restaurants, first-time restaurateurs, uh, including some from the LGBTQ community open up. And, you know, I, I've been wondering, are these places that, uh, you know, were these people potentially frozen out of the market before the pandemic and now have an opportunity? Uh, and that would probably be a, you know, a positive thing because I think Portland's food scene, restaurant scene has been overwhelmingly white and male for, you know, forever, basically. Um, but then you also see some oddball stuff opening. Like I, I saw, uh, I wrote about this, um, a place called Biga, which is the owner of Pizzicato, which is this like big 
pizza chain used to have 15 or 16 locations. They're down to 13 now because they closed three. Uh, he he opened a, uh, him and his wife opened a artisanal craft pizzeria uh, <laughs> in Northeast Portland in the former Autentica space on Northeast 30th. And, uh, you know, it, it's just it's pretty good. I think I, I wrote a little review of it and I said, you know, if you like, if you like pizzicato and you want to like see, go one step up to see what, you know, <laughs> dough that's been, you know, given a little more time to rest and art ingredients that are a step up. Like this is a great place to go for you. I don't think it's like a top five pizzeria, like uh, they were maybe hoping to have opened, but you know, w- was, was that a concept that maybe wouldn't have played uh, a year ago, you know, yeah. or, but now we've just have this Autentica space that, you know, is closed and, uh, and during the pandemic, nothing was going to open there. So I, I just don't know. There could be a lot of oddball concepts opening, like, you know, business models is like, oh, wait a second, what are you guys doing there? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> and Portlanders are adventurous, right? I mean, we're willing to try new things, it seems. So, um, let's get weird. <laughs> weird. I think it's going to be weird. And, you know, some of that's going to be really good. And hopefully some of those places will stick around. And I mean, I guess if you, if anyone's listening to this and thinking about opening a restaurant, now would be the time to do it. If you have a, <laughs> if you have a concept in your back pocket, like you can probably get a sweet deal uh, to, you know, rent a space on the cheap. Yeah. Um, actually, let's go way back in time, Michael. The first episode of this podcast, <sighs> yeah. October 21st of last year was you and I, we were talking about restaurants and you brought, as you always do, your analysis of different trends that are, you know, hitting this, hitting the food scene. And a lot of that was kind of uh, what you just mentioned, some uh, young and up and coming um, chefs, uh, people of color taking uh, bold moves. And I'm wondering, when you look at kind of what we're experiencing now, what I know we've touched on some of this, but like what, how do you think this is going to change us and our food scene? Well, I mean, it's a radical shift and, you know, I, I I just, I I think it's too early to tell how it's going to shake out and I think there will be good and bad. I mean, I think if you're someone who felt like the old guard of people like John Gorham from Toro Bravo and Andy Ricker from Pock Pock, who each ran, you know, I mean, John Gorham had 12 restaurants, Andy Mm -hmm. had seven by the end, as I said, you know, successful places and and both of the I, I i've heard from sources that gorham lives in bend now as i said andy ricker um lives in thailand now so i mean they, these are not people who are a part of the portland restaurant scene anymore and then you know even going back to an earlier era um you know our ties to like zephyro which was this like founding uh, a restaurant for portland it's like a lot of people think of it as like the first like hip trendy restaurant in portland well, and, you know, who was at the bar there? It was Andy Ricker. And, uh, you know, uh, that restaurant is no more, but it, it sort of branched out. And um, a guy named Bruce Carey, who was the main guy at Zephyro, ended up starting his own little restaurant, uh, you know, fairly large restaurant group. Um, and he closed two of the, those long-running places, Blue Hour in the Pearl District, uh, which was sort of a f- finer dining upscale restaurant um, on 13th Avenue mm-hmm. and then sauce box on Broadway. And both those restaurants have been around for a long time, um, you know, two decades roughly. And I-, I do think that, you know, we're losing sort of our connection to, uh, you know, this 
early days of Portland establishing itself as a food city. Now, you could definitely argue you don't have to be nostalgic or sad about that because there could be new opportunities for people who'd been marginalized before, um, and that would be great. But, you know, I, I do feel like Portland has never really done a great job of uh, maintaining its history. Like, there are not a lot of old, old restaurants here. There's there's places like Ringside Steakhouse, right. Dan Louis Oyster Bar, uh, Huber's, uh, the turkey place downtown. But, you know, that those are outliers. We just, there just aren't that many, how many, like, hundred-year-old Wild, bars Wildwood is are there? gone, right? Wildwood's yeah. been gone, yeah. yeah. And, uh so, you know, there, but there are these outliers that have been around a long time, but I think by and large Portland's, I, I think we, 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 we haven't done a great job of maintaining our restaurant history. And this pandemic obviously is going to sever a lot of links in that regard. Before I let you go, um, what's it like for you, Michael, to review a restaurant again and, and to, to do it in a pandemic? Uh, you got to be very careful. I haven't done a lot of it. Um, I think I was already kind of moving away from uh, reviewing even before the pandemic. But, you know, these days, it's just, you know, first of all, nobody nobody wants to hear criticisms of long waits or service issues. Not that that would ever have been my main, you know, thrust of a review. But, you know, those things are just kind of petulant right now at a time when restaurants are a struggling to survive and B sort of like rewriting their entire model uh, day to day sometimes, you know, uh, to, to, you know, comply with the state's COVID regulations. But in Portland, it's not just comply. Like people go way, you know, restaurants in Portland are going way above and beyond what the state of Oregon is telling them to do because they're conscientious and they don't want to have outbreaks there. They don't want to get their customers sick. Um, so, you know, the question of, oh, my, f- the, the, f- the French fries I got from the new fish and chips place weren't crunchy when I got them home. Like, no, I, I don't think anybody cares about that right now. So, uh, I'm more telling stories and writing about the restaurant scene from a business perspective, which, you know, that, that, that's, I think that's what the city wants right now. And that's, that's what's appropriate. Um, but, you know, I will say one interesting thing, which I may write about at some point is, you know, we both have kids who are basically the same age, uh, mm-hmm. three and one. And, you know, the, uh, uh, maybe they'll get a play date together at some point on the other side of this, but God, like God will. <laughs> that, that for me was actually a massive, uh, uh, adjustment in the way I go out to eat because, uh, not to make this too much about myself here, but, you know, bringing a three and one year old out to, a, a anything other than like a food cart pod is, it can, it can be a real roller coaster adventure. Um, it's terrible. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> and I've kind of I, I I haven't really wanted to say this publicly until now, so we're we're breaking news here. But I, it, a part of me is happy that I don't have to go out to eat. Like th- th- this, uh, you know, this would be maybe the time I'd be working on my best new restaurants list. Um, you know, uh, I might have been doing that in the spring and summer, but okay, let's just say for the sake of the story, I'd be doing it now. And I would be wanting to go out to 30 or 40 restaurants in a month or two. And, you know, I'd, I'd end up having to do all of that like after 8 p.m. when my kids are put down <laughs> and then they wake up at five and exactly. then daylight savings messes you up even further. So, you know, there's a part of me that's glad I'm not uh, or, or or trying to bring them along with you where they're like grabbing the fancy like, you know, handmade ceramic plates and throwing them on the floor or, you know, deciding that you know, they want to pee on the fancy leather banquette um, or whatever it might be. So yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of eating at home for me, uh, which is different, but uh, maybe good. Well, maybe I'll see you uh, in a well-spaced line with a mask outside some restaurant sometime soon. Sounds great. I'll see you there. 
Thanks for listening to Beat Check with you, Oregonian. If you want to know more about the food scene, you can subscribe to Oregon Live for access to exclusive stories and analysis. Go to OregonLive.com slash pod support. If you like this show, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. Help spread the word. Until next time.